Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word, open our ears and our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, there was a series of books that was called Conversations with God. There is a picture of it behind me. Maybe you have seen this book or heard of this book. But this book became very popular with the American people. In fact, Oprah Winfrey was a big proponent of these series. The books basically described a conversation that the author had with God about some of his toughest questions. The author's name was Neil Donald Walsh. And not only did he write one book, he wrote several books called The Conversations with God. And this is what he proposed in his books. He said, number one, words cannot communicate truth. Number two, truth comes as each individual consults his or her feelings. And then he also consulted, he also said this, that everyone is right and no one is wrong. Everyone is right, no one is wrong, and truth comes as each individual consults their feelings. That's what he said, and that's his, his thesis in the book. I want you to notice what he also said in the book, and I have a, uh, a little clip here. I want you to see it. He says this, and I quote, Your inner voice tells you what is true and what is false, what is right or what is wrong, what is good or what is bad according to your own criteria. This voice is the radar that sets your direction and makes you determine if what you hear is true or not. Now, as I was reading about this book and how popular it has become and how Oprah Winfrey has really been a big proponent of the, the series, I was looking at the summary of the book, and when I was looking at the summary, I noticed the reviews of the book. And it was really interesting that the reviews of the book primarily was positive. Most people endorsed it. And I want to read to you one of the reviews of the book. This is the review of the book by an anonymous source. This person said this, and I quote, this trilogy of books will change your life in the, both, in the best way possible. Anybody communicating that it's deceiving or misleading is simply wrong or brainwashed by the modern idea of what or who God really is. The current version of the Bible teaches about a vengeful God. This book clearly clears the idea entirely and introduces a new philosophy which can offer you true peace and love in your life. Highly, highly recommend it. I was raised a Catholic and I recommend this book a million times more than I do the Bible. It teaches of a loving, accepting God which our soul simply knows to be true. My friends, this line of thinking is very popular in our society. This line of thinking is ingrained in some of our churches. Our culture is insisting that truth is about how you feel and it's not on objective truth 
or absolutes. Today, I want to continue my sermon series, Living in Babylon, and I want to look at fighting for the truth today. The last few weeks, I've tried my best to lay a foundation uh, about the Babylonian culture. We've been looking at the book of Daniel, and just for a few moments, let me remind you what the book of Daniel is about. Daniel was was taken from his homeland of Judah, and he became a prisoner of war in Babylon. Now, Babylon, according to the scriptures, was a wicked and evil nation. But the Bible says that Daniel was a devout follower of God. And the Bible tells us that Daniel had to live in Babylon. Babylon, a wicked and evil society. Daniel had to live there and he had to learn how to live there and serve God in a wicked society. You and I, my friends, are like Daniel. You and I have to live in a culture like Babylon. We have to live in a culture that is pagan and godless and evil and wicked. We have to learn not only to live there, we got to learn how to thrive and survive in Babylon. I told you a few weeks ago that Babylon represents an evil system that opposes the kingdom of God. Babylon, an evil system that opposes the kingdom of God or anything that's godly or righteous. Now, my friends, the nation of Babylon has ceased to exist. It no longer exists today. But the spirit of Babylon is still in the world. The spirit of Babylon is still trying to invade every arena of our life. It's trying to invade our schools. It's trying to invade our churches, our families, and our nation. It seeks to brainwash and confuse our children. The spirit is coming after our children. It's trying to bully us. It's trying to intimidate us. It's trying to pressure us to conform. And it will persecute anyone who tries to stand against it. But the Bible says that Daniel, even though he lived in a wicked society, the Bible says that Daniel did something. Daniel chapter 1 verse number 8. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. David, give me a little monitor, please. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Oh, I love that. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. My friends, that is the key to the book of Daniel. Even though Daniel had to live in a pagan evil society, Daniel made a purpose that he was going to serve God in Babylon. He purposed in his heart. And my friends, if you're going to live in Babylon, you're going to have to purpose in your heart to serve God. You're going to have to purpose in your heart to live for God. Now, my friends, the Bible says in Acts, uh, excuse me, chapter 3 of Daniel, that his friends were thrown into the, uh, the fiery furnace. And then the Bible says that King Darius tried to throw or threw Daniel into the lion's den in chapter 6. But what I want you to see is this, that in chapter 1, Daniel made up his mind that he was going to serve God. 
It didn't matter what happened in chapter 3, and it didn't matter what happened in chapter 6. Daniel made up his mind in chapter 1 that he was going to serve God. And if you're going to survive and thrive in this culture, you're going to have to make up your mind in chapter 1 that no matter what happens in my life, whether it be the lion's den or whether it be the fiery furnace, whatever I've got to walk through, whatever I've got to be persecuted for, I've already made up my mind in chapter 1 that I will not bow down to the gods of this society. Is there anybody in this house that you're like Daniel? You have purposed in your heart to serve God in this Babylonian culture. Now, I will tell you what you need to write on your your sheet this morning. You have it. I'll tell you number one, or you just follow with me, and I'll give you what you need to write down. You see, this culture will hate you, and I, I need to tell you it's going to hate you. I need to tell you that they're going to tell you that, you, that you're a Jesus freak and, and that you're unintelligent. You're not relevant in your old school. This culture is going to try to turn up the heat seven times hotter. They're going to try to throw you into the furnace of persecution. But you've got a purpose in your heart that you will not bow down to the gods of this culture that you will not bow down to the God of immorality, that you will not bow down to the God of perversion, that you will not bow down to the God of relativism, and that you will not bow down to the God of humanism. you got a purpose in your heart, like Daniel made a purpose in his heart that he was going to serve God in a Babylonian culture. And what I love about this is that Daniel was 16 years old and he purposed to serve God. I'm telling you today that young people can serve God in this culture. I said young people can serve God in this culture. I am asking God to raise up children, raise up teenagers that have a heart to serve God in this Babylonian culture. I'm telling telling you the power of God can keep our kids saved. I said the power of God can keep our children saved. And for the rest of you that's looking at me and picking your fingernails, I said the power of God can keep our children saved. The Bible says in John 15 verse 18, if the world hates you, keep this in mind, they hated me first. If you belong to the world, they would love you as your own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. The world will hate you. Do you notice what the Bible said? Jesus said they will hate you because you don't belong to the world. In other words, you don't think like the world. You don't have the same viewpoint as the world, and you don't believe in the truth that the world is propagating. And because you don't believe in it, and you don't celebrate it and submit to it, the world will hate you. Look at the book of Amos chapter 5 verse 10. The prophet Amos said, speaking of the people of Israel, he said, how you hate honest judges, and how you despise people who tell the truth. Amos is saying there's going to be a famine of the word of God and these people this generation that I'm living in Amos said they don't even love truth anymore they despise people who tell the truth the Bible says in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 
the, pro, uh, the, the, the apostle echoed these words, for the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn away from the truth and be turned after fables or myths. You see, my friends, isn't that where we're at today? People are forsaking the truth. People hate the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, the Apostle Paul even said this about the church. He said that people would perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. He said this generation don't love the truth, and because they don't love the truth, they will not be saved. I love what Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, said, and I quote, A preacher must be a soldier and a shepherd. He must nourish, defend, and teach, and he must have teeth in his mouth and be able to bite and fight. My friends, I want to be that preacher. I want to be a shepherd, but I want to be a soldier. And I want to learn how to bite and fight for the truth. My friends, somebody has to stand up somewhere and defend the orthodox teaching of the Christian church. Somewhere, some way, we got to stand up and say, I still believe in the virgin birth, that Jesus was literally born of a virgin, that Jesus literally died on a Roman cross, he literally was buried, and he literally had a body and was resurrected on the third day. He will come again, he will judge the sinner, he will receive the saint, and there is a heaven to gain, and a hell to shun, and all those who call upon Jesus shall be saved. I still believe the gospel I still believe the gospel I still believe that there is only one way to heaven and Jesus is the way no other way Jesus is the way he is not the way he is not a way he's the way Jesus is the way I love Daniel because Daniel is a man of truth on your paper, number one, truth was a distinguishing mark on Daniel's life. Daniel was a man of God because truth was a distinguishing mark of Daniel's life. Truth was a distinguishing mark on Daniel's life. I want you to notice this morning how truthful Daniel was and how a man of truth he was. Now, Get this. Look at the scripture behind me. I want you to see Daniel and a part of Daniel's gift in Babylon. Because how many knows that God will still use you in Babylon and your gifts can still flourish in Babylon. And one of the gifts that Daniel had was the interpretation of dreams. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, heard that Daniel had this gift and the king asked Daniel to interpret a dream. And this is was, this was what happened. Daniel chapter number 4, verse 27. Look what happens here. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel speaking to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. As he looked across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. 
By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as a royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Isn't that full of pride? Isn't Babylon about pride? Here is the king operating in the spirit of Babylon, pride. Verse 31, while these words still was in his mouth, a voice came from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields like a wild animal. You will eat grass like a cow, and seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Skip down to verse 32nd. This is verse 36. This is what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar said, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with greater glory and honor than before. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, will praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven and all his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. What are you saying, pastor? Daniel was a man of truth because Daniel knew that if I told the king the interpretation of this dream and told him the truth, he could kill me. But Daniel decided to be a man of truth anyway and told the king the truth. And the king didn't kill him. The king eventually honored God when it came to his right mind. You see, the point is this. Daniel said and spoke the truth respectfully. The Bible says in Daniel chapter number 4 and verse number 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. He was respectful and he told the truth. Number two, Daniel did not try to change the king. God changed the king. My point is this. In a Babylonian society, you're not responsible to try to change people. Only God can really change people. Your only responsibility is to communicate truth respectfully. Did you hear what I said? Your responsibility is to communicate truth respectfully, and God's responsibility is to change people. And I want to let you know, God still changes people. If God could change King Nebuchadnezzar, he can change a drug addict. If God can still change King Nebuchadnezzar, he can change somebody that's mentally confused and depressed and oppressed. Because we serve a God that still changes the hearts and lives of men and women. God changed Nebuchadnezzar. God did it. Daniel did not do it. Daniel told the truth respectfully. And God did it. I don't know about you, but some of you are weary about witnessing to your family. Some of you really want to give up. But I want to encourage you today, if you've got unsaved loved ones, if you've got a prodigal, if you have a backslidden family member or a child or a spouse, don't give up on them because God still changes people. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is still at work. Hallelujah. On your paper, number two, the mark of a man or a woman of God is that he or she is willing to live the truth even when it personally affects them in a negative manner. 
The mark of a man or a woman of God is that he or she is willing to live the truth even when it personally affects them in a negative manner. My friends, can you live the truth in a Babylonian culture? Can you stand up for the truth in a Babylonian culture even though it may affect you negatively? Do you have the ability to stand up and proclaim the truth even when it may affect you negatively? Daniel understood that this may cost my life, but I'm still going to speak the truth respectfully. And God changed King Nebuchadnezzar. In this Babylonian culture that you and I live in, there's two opposing views of truth. My truth versus the truth. And I want to look at that just for a moment. The first view of truth in this Babylonian culture is called my truth. Everybody shout my truth. There's a catchy phrase that goes on that you can hear in this generation. Live your truth. Live your truth. The implication is that everyone is right and nobody is wrong. Thank you. We know what is best for us. We live according to how we feel. Live your truth. You can see billboards. Live your truth. Live your truth. It's your truth. It's my truth. Live your truth. Now, live your truth or my truth is really what we call subjective truth. Subjective truth on your paper. Subjective truth is dependent on an individual's perspective, beliefs, and experiences. Subjective truth is dependent upon an individual's perspectives, beliefs, and experiences. It may vary from one person to another, depending on their emotions, depending on their cultural background, and depending on their personal bias. Now, my truth is really called subjective truth, and really what I'm trying to say is your truth, my truth, is really based upon your opinion and what you like and your view and how you want to do it. That's really what it's about. Now, I, I find it interesting that if you, look up, if you look up the phrase, my truth, in the Urban Dictionary, Now, I'm not sure if you ever heard of the Urban Dictionary. I'm sure you have. But the Urban Dictionary is really a dictionary that anybody can submit a definition to. And it's really slang language. All right? It's informal expressions and slang language of the culture. And I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. And this is what my truth, the definition of my truth is. A non-negotiable personal opinion. A non-negotiable personal opinion. And this is what it said underneath that. This is a convenient phrase in 2023 avoiding arguments because people can contradict your opinion, but they cannot contradict your truth. In other words, our society is saying this. This is my truth. This is how I see it. This is according to my opinion. This is according to my feelings. It's my truth. And because it's my truth, you can't argue with me and you can't correct me. That's where we live. So I can change my gender. It's my truth. And don't you argue with me. 
I can marry who I want to marry. And don't you argue with me because it's my truth. It's not an opinion. It's my truth. But that's what your truth is. Your truth is just an opinion based on your views and your opinions. That's what it is. And it's nothing new in the Bible. This whole idea of my truth, live your truth, live how you want to live, is really all throughout the Bible. For instance, Judges chapter 21, 25. Look at what the Old Testament says. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, but there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds to counsel is wise. Proverbs 16, 2, people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Now, I could go on and on and on, but those are four scriptures in the Bible to prove to you that this thinking is not new, that this thinking has been around since the time of Adam. Everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes. It's their truth. It's my truth. It's subjective truth. It's based upon what you feel. It's based upon your opinions, your feelings, your perspectives, and how you view life. These same people that cry, my truth, my truth, is the same people that will stand up and blast Christians for living their truth. That the same group that stands and says tolerance, tolerance, tolerance is the same group that gives no tolerance to the conservatives. Boy, I'm preaching right there. Living your truth is a dangerous ideology to live by. What if somebody says, my truth is that I could sleep with a child, rape a child, or murder another person, or abuse the elderly? What if somebody says, truth, that's my truth? Where do we draw the line, my friends? Where does the line stop, and where do we draw the line on truth and morality when it's based upon somebody's feelings and opinions? Well, that group will say, well... You draw the line if you're hurting somebody. That's where you draw the line. But then my question is this. Then who determines what hurt is? What is harm? Are you the authority? What harms one person may not harm another person. So who is right? Who is wrong? And by what authority can you make those decisions? What is moral and what is immorality and, and by what authority can you make those decisions? You see, if you live by this ideology of your truth and live the way you want to live and live by your emotions and your truth and nobody can question you and nobody can stand against you and nobody can correct you, that is the spirit of Babylon. It's the spirit of pride. I'll make a name for myself. And don't you question me. But until God came down and confronted their languages. John chapter 18 verse 38. What did Pilate? Pilate said, what is truth? Then he went out again to the people and told him, he's guilty of any, he's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release a prisoner to you every year at Passover. Who would you like to release? This king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Oh, what is truth? 
and then he releases Barabbas? Pilate was seeking for the truth, but in the end, he gave in to the majority. The majority wanted Barabbas. They didn't want Jesus. And that's the ideology of my truth. Your truth is really just following the culture. It's really just giving in to the majority. And that's what Pilate did. Pilate's seeking for the truth, but in the end, he gave in to the majority. And that's what this generation is doing. It feels good. It looks good. Everybody else is doing it. Then it must be okay. I see nothing wrong with whoever, whoever wants to love whoever. Whoever wants to stay with whoever and sleep with whoever. It's all right. That's my thoughts. It's my opinion. It's my truth. But let, let me tell you what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said it like this. When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Let me read it to you one more time. When the world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Can I tell you something? I'm going to run the opposite direction and I have lost my mind. Is there anybody in this building that can stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I want to run the opposite direction. I don't want to go the way of this Babylonian culture. I want to go the opposite direction. Pastor Sean, please fix my mic. <sighs> David, please give me some monitor, please. Thank you. You're doing a great job. I just can't hear myself. Thank you. <clears throat> They've lost their minds because they're going the opposite direction. My friends, let's go the opposite direction. Thank you. Number two, it's not only my truth, but then the truth. The truth. You see, my friends, there's a big difference between your truth and the truth. Let me tell you a few things about the truth. On your paper, number one, the truth, number one, truth does exist. Truth does exist. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Truth does exist. John chapter 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What did he say? You will what? Know the truth. Does truth exist? Somebody say, yes, it does. John 18, verse 37, Jesus responded, you say that I'm a king, Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify of the truth, to testify of the truth, and all who love the truth will recognize what I say is true. All who recognize the truth will know what I say is true. Truth does exist. Jesus said, that you'll know it and it can set you free. Jesus said that he was born into this world to testify of the truth. Truth does exist. Some people in this generation says truth does not exist. It's not knowable. You can't find it. So just live the way you want to live. It's too confusing. But Jesus said truth does exist. Number two, truth is knowable. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 32, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So truth, is, truth not only exists, but truth is knowable. Number three, truth is outside of you. Truth is outside of you. In other words, objective truth 
is a standard that's outside of you. It transcends your emotions. It's a fixed standard. Truth involves reality and it involves facts. It's more than facts because you can have the facts and not know the truth. But it involves facts and involves reality. Truth can be observed, it can be repeated, and it can be tested. Say that with me. It can be observed, it can be repeated, and it can be tested. Number four, truth does not change. Truth does not change. Number five, truth is not about your feelings or your opinions. It's not subjective. Because if it's based upon your opinions and feelings, it could change any day at any time. And number six, truth is not subjective. It is objective. What do I mean by that? Objective truth refers to reality or facts that exist independently of an individual's beliefs, opinions, or perceptions. In other words, it is true whether you believe it or not. It is true whether you believe it or not. So, let me say this. You can't live by your truth. You can't live by your standard. Why can't you live by your standard? Because number one, you're not perfect. You're not finite. You don't know everything. The reason that you can't be the standard of truth or the authority of truth is because number one, you're not perfect. You don't know it all. Number two, you're sinful. So that means your truth gets distorted by your own sinful desires and, 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 and nature. Number three, you're limited, which means you don't know it all. You're still learning. So how can you be the standard when you're still learning? Maybe you don't know it all. Number four, the devil is a deceiver. The devil is a manipulative, deceptive agent that tries to deceive people into wrong thinking. And number five, the culture is contaminated because the culture contains people and people are sinful. So you can't be the standard of truth. If you want an absolute truth, then it must come from an absolute source. If you want a perfect truth, it must come from a perfect source. There is only one perfect source, and his name is God. God is the perfect source. He's outside of time and space, and God knows it all and sees it all. Truth is not what the opinion poll says. Truth is not the popular vote. It's not what the culture says. It's not what the media says. It's not what the university says. It's not what even the preacher says or the church says. It's not what the government says. It is what the B-I-B-L-E says says God has revealed himself in the pages of the Bible through his son Jesus Christ and that is truth John MacArthur said this authentic Christianity has always held since day one that the Bible is the absolute objective truth for their followers the Bible is God's truth, regardless whether a person believes it, understands it, or likes it. It is a permanent, universal truth, whether anyone believes it or accepts it. The Bible is our standard. Why? Because the Bible can be observed, it can be repeated, 
and it could be tested. It was founded on actual events that really did occur. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory as the only glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. John 14 verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. John 17 17, make them holy by your truth, teach them your word, which is what? Truth. John 8 verse 45, yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures and the power of God. You are wrong, my friend. Jesus looked at him and said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures. Because it is the standard of truth. 2 Timothy 3, 14, Paul said to Timothy, this is what he said to Timothy, But remain faithful to the things I've taught you. Look at it. 2 Timothy 3.14, he said, Remain to the things that I've taught you. And you know that they are true. For you know you can trust those things which was taught to you. For you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have been given you wisdom to receive salvation by trusting in Jesus. The Bible stands in contrast to this, this, this democracy, individual right freedoms, wave your flags, I deserve a right to do this and right to do this and deserve my own flag and deserve my own pronouns and make a name for myself. The Bible stands against it. Truth requires you to change, but your truth doesn't require you to change anything. The same people that say objective truth, truth, absolute truth, does not exist. That very statement is a defeating statement. They're making an absolute statement. What will be the standard of truth in your life? What do you do when God's word contradicts your lifestyle? Who wins the fight? Does God win it? Or do you win it? Satan's strategy is simple, my friends. This is his strategy. He wants to make sin look normal. And truth, he wants to make it look strange. Satan's strategy is to make sin look normal. And truth, he wants to make it look strange. He wants to say that it's normal and acceptable to believe that grown men can have children. I want to say this one more time. Men, biological men cannot have children. I don't know why you're sitting there looking at me. All of you should put your hands together and say, I still believe that a man can't have a baby. Are we delusional or what? Because of the philosophy of my truth, we want everybody to celebrate it. 
But I'm going to be like C.S. Lewis. I'm running the opposite direction. Now, in closing, let me say that when you start living for the truth, don't lose me. I got a couple men. When you start living for the truth, people are going to think you're crazy. But look at me. It's the same way in the Bible. Look at it. Look at it. Don't lose me. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. I'll wait for it to be up there. Look at this. Mark 3 and verse 21. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay a hold of him. And they're speaking of Jesus here. His own family said, he is out of his. His own family thought he was crazy. Look at this, Acts 26, 24. The apostle Paul is standing before King Festus. And this is what Paul says to King Festus. Now as thus, and now as he made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself because much learning is driving you mad. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Paul said, the truth I'm speaking to is reasonable. It's based on facts. And the king said, you're out of your mind. Number one, when you start standing up for the truth, your family will think you're crazy. They said Jesus was out of his mind. Number two, when you stand up for the truth, the government will think you're crazy. The king thought Paul was crazy. Now, let me see, let me let you see this. 2 Corinthians 5:13, and this was the conclusion of what Paul said. If it seems like we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. So let the world call me crazy. Let me run the opposite direction. I will not stand and bow down to the gods of Babylon anymore. <laughs> call me crazy but I'm going to bring glory to God in the end. Call me crazy. Call me a Jesus freak. Call me too conservative, but I will not placate to the voices of this Babylonian culture. When you don't obey what God says, then what you're actually saying is you know better than God. Fulton Sheen, the Archbishop of the Catholic Church, said this, and I quote, 1931, kudos to this beloved archbishop, tolerance only applies only to people, but never the truth. About truth, we must become intolerant. Right is right if nobody is right, and wrong is wrong if everybody is wrong. And in this day and age, we need not a church that is right when the world is right, but a church that is right when the world is wrong. Got to fight for the truth. Got to fight. In 10 years, churches like this will be abnormal. Churches who believe the gospel, believe in repentance of sin, sacrifice and surrender to the teachings of Jesus, and marriage between one man and one woman, it will be the exception 10 years from now. But let me remind you, Acts 17, the fall of Babylon fell. 
Acts, I mean, Revelation 17, Babylon fell, but Acts chapter 19, Jesus returns. I'm telling you, Babylon's going to fall. The ideology will fall. The, the my truth theory will eventually fall. It will fall, but there is still a remnant in the earth that still believes in Jesus, that still believes in the gospel, that still believes in truth. There is still 7,000 that still hasn't bowed their knee to Baal. There is still a Daniel in Babylon. There is still an Elijah in Judah. There is still a Paul in Rome. There is still people that still believe in the gospel of Jesus that is still redeemed. Woo! Woo! Yes, yes! Lord, give us a church! Give us a church that will speak against this spirit of the age. God's not calling us to be cowards either. If the liberal agenda can get out there and indoctrinate your children, you know what? I'm going to say this to parents. Why is it that we're not faithful to church when your kids is schooled and indoctrinated in Babylon every day of the week and we're wishy-washy with our church attendance and our discipleship of our children? This is not a sermon. This is a cry. This is a plea from my heart to say, wake up. We have people staying home and not coming to church. Let me tell you, every moment, the spirit of Babylon is trying to indoctrinate your children, indoctrinate this nation, indoctrinate churches, and we've got to learn that if we don't put an effort into this thing, it's not going to happen. I'm like C.S. Lewis. Everybody's running towards the cliff. I've decided I'm running the opposite direction. (laughs) 